I've never shared this with anybody publicly. There's so many things happening in this conversation right now. A thousand years from now, people are going to be looking at this podcast saying, so this was the breakthrough. If this was Sports Center, that would be like such a hot take. Skip Bayless would have no idea. Stephen A. Smith would have no idea what to say if you drop that down. That is so good. Yeah, I actually, this is my third bottle. So I got, I, I misunderstood the instructions and the premise of the podcast interview. The joke I always say is like, how'd you learn so much? got to drink a lot. <laughs> the power of food and beverage to lubricate an environment. Resistance to change is hurting the church. I'm not in the camp that God has a penis or a vagina or a body at all. I'm in the camp that God is a universal spirit. This is the strangest podcast that I have been on. I don't even know what to do. <laughs> I'm kind of geeked up about this wine. You've uncovered the mystery. <laughs> You've exposed the formula. You've just duct taped together a number of things that aren't normally hanging out together, and I'm here for it. We're going to sit down at a table, we're going to have a glass of wine and some food, and we're going to talk about the beauty of Jesus. Thank you for the, the hospitality that this particular podcast provides folks like myself, and I know others, to, to be curious around their faith practices. I will never forget the first time I bought a bottle of wine by myself, which was yesterday. If you're familiar with drunk history, I thought it's like drunk theology. So I, oh. By the way, drinking this Pinot Grigio at three o'clock in the afternoon is making me even more direct in my communication than I normally would be. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Cabernet and Pray. I love doing this. I love hosting a podcast where I get to talk to amazing people and drink wine at the same time. And today, I'm excited for you to meet a close friend of mine. Today's episode is with Clayton Steffen. He has been in the wine industry for over a decade. He owns The Divided Vine, one of the best beer and wine bars in the Phoenix East Valley. And he's committed his life to learning as much as he can about wine. Clayton, my man, welcome to the podcast. Salud. <laughs> Happy to be here. Anything else we need to know about you that I didn't cover in, in those little bullet points there? Uh, I mean, I have a lot of other hobbies, but for the most part these days, it's it's very focused around, around, around wine. <laughs> any any hobbies you want to share with us? Oh, yeah. I uh, love playing guitar. Uh, I like doing carpentry. All the, uh, all the tables here at the bar I actually built myself. So that's, uh, that's the hobby part. And, uh, and wine's the work, but I love <laughs> the work. <laughs> It's a tough job, but someone's someone's got to do it. Exactly. Okay. That sound means it's time to talk about what we're drinking. Today, I am drinking a 2022, let's get this in the shot for those on video, uh, 2022 Palliser Estate Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand. And I am a sucker for New Zealand Sauvignon Blancs. Uh, I, I can enjoy it from elsewhere in the world, but the acidity, the mouthfeel from a good New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc just blows me away. It's like a whole experience in your mouth if you've had one of these and you know what I'm talking about. Uh, on this one, I'm getting pineapple, uh, lemon, uh, and then the herbaceous notes, which are super fun. I'm getting green bell pepper and cut green grass. And I, I realize that for some of you, that might be like super weird uh, to have in a wine. But if you haven't tried it, Sauvignon Blanc is one of my probably top two go-to white wines. I absolutely love it. Super refreshing. So, Clay, that's what I'm drinking. What are you drinking today? I am drinking Alto Le Mays 
Patagonia Pinot Noir from Argentina. Uh, let me get that better. Too much glare. Uh, it's not a purely white label. There it is. There, now you can read it. <laughs> but it is absolutely fantastic. 2018, so it's had some time to integrate. It is just screaming right now. It is beautiful. Black cherries, uh, a lot of the terroirs coming through. Patagonia is actually farther south in Argentina. So when you go southern hemisphere, you flip it. We think cold, we go north. They go the opposite way. So Pinot Noir needs a colder region. So in Argentina, you start heading south, heading towards Antarctica. And then that's where you can grow Chardonnay, Pinot Noir. A lot of the varietals will go into sparkling wine. And uh, this Pinot is just amazing. Also, we'll be serving this during the communion wine event coming up on the 18th. So you get to taste it too if you want to come to that. Which you should. Cheers. (laughs) Nice. I love it. All right. Now, Clayton, you and I had the chance to go to an industry event last week uh, for for wine buyers, and there were 115 different vendors that I counted at this event. It may have been one of the best days of my life, but here's my question: <laughs> Was that just business as usual for you, or or were you were you having a little bit of the experience that I was? Uh. That one's a little overwhelming. That is basically all of their vendors at once. And it's, unless you were Superman, you're not getting through all of them. It'd be literally impossible. We did, so, we did try, but we didn't, we didn't put a real big dent in it. We did our best. I think we got through about 25% of them. <laughs> at that point, you got to pick and choose. It's a little overwhelming every time you go into one of those, uh, whether or not you've been doing it a while. But we did it right, which is you just walk in, pick a table. Doesn't matter which one. Get get your first one under your belt, and then you can relax, and then you can kind of game plan and go through it. So you saw me the whole time. I'm taking notes. I'm tasting, trying to taste mostly things that are good for us, so I'm not wasting time doing it. But at the same time, you and I definitely ventured into some things that I would not normally be bringing in here to have some fun with it as well. We we did we did taste some some incredible wine, and what the the joke that Clayton and I had going was, you know, after a certain point, you're. And again, you're tasting and spitting most of the wines, just the sheer volume of what you're trying to to taste. Um, but even with that, you get to a point where y- you just kind of get desensitized to, oh yeah, this is this is good, and this is good, and this is good, and it's just wine after wine after wine. And you know, at one point, I was losing track of like which wine are we on, you know, what what price point. I, I don't even know. We were going table to table, and I leaned over to him and I was like, "This one's not bad. I I would totally drink this." And then I literally looked it up and it's like, you know, a $50, you know, wholesale price <laughs> bottle, <laughs> which is like an incredible bottle of wine. And here right. I am thinking like, oh yeah, I would, I would drink that. And it was just funny to me of like, oh, you can, you can get used to really good wine over and over and over. Steakhouse, it's like 200 minimum, you know, right. Yeah. <laughs> for that bottle of wine. But that's the thing, like the value is not there because you're trying everything for free. So you don't, you're like, yeah, it's another good one, <laughs> right? right? You pay two or another. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that was, that was, that was a highlight for me. So I, I enjoyed that. Uh, Clayton, that when did you get interested in wine? When does this journey for you begin? So I was uh, 26, 25, somewhere around there, but I was a beer buyer and then, um, the wine buyer actually left the company and they just said, you buy wine now. Uh, I uh, really didn't know a lot about wine. I'd been serving it, but I was like, I had a, an idea, but I hadn't fallen in love yet. Once I started the buying process and I'm getting anecdotes and I'm finding out all the stories, everything that goes along with wine, 
from all the sales reps, I was just like, this is so cool. And there's so much here. It's, it's a, it's a scratch and stiff that never loses its flavor, you know? So you kind of got thrown into the fire and then you decided you could do it. Yeah. It wasn't, I guess it wasn't necessarily by choice. Never really thought about that, but yeah. (laughs) You're choosing it now, but yeah, you kind of, it was when you got launched into it. It was an arranged marriage that worked out. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. I like that. Now, when you look back on your journey, did you have anyone like a mentor or a coach that really stood out that that helped you into this world? Because you and I have joked, you know, we, we talk a lot. The, the wine world is daunting. I mean, just yeah, you can yeah. spend your life on this and you're going to scratch the surface. Who who was maybe a person or two for you that, that helped you? Uh, definitely. It, it was all the sales reps I've had. And I've tried to be an, what's like a nice buyer. There's a lot of um, a-holes out there. And they, uh, you know, they believe that, you know, you should be doing everything for me. And I'm, I try to be a nice buyer. Welcome everyone in. If it's the first time I'll buy something for you for sure. Yeah. But I, I need them as much as they need me. You know, we're, we're almost coworkers in that sense where, you know, they're part of the business at the same time. So I relied on them a lot in the beginning, especially when I didn't know anything. And even you get farther into it. And then once you get maybe closer to their level, then you're talking more as, um, equals. And, uh, mm-hmm. that becomes really cool. I didn't have anyone outside of that necessarily. I had a, a few mentors, maybe business wise, but no one that really was holding my hand with wine. So you just picked it up on the job from the people in the yeah. trenches, if you will. The joke I always say is like, how'd you learn so much? And I like, got to drink a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That is the thing, you know, I went back and started getting, you know, some of my wine certifications because all of my formal training has been on the ministry side and theology side. <laughs> and, you know, you would you would be learning about these these wines. And I'm like, I've never had it, you know. And so it's like, that's just those are just words on a page until you've experienced it. And and wine is one of those things where it's like you you got to experience it. And so, yeah, for me, I, I love a lot of times I'll get a wine that I'm like, this isn't for me but I'm really stoked to try it and add that experience, you know, to my memory bank of that's what that wine is like, even if it's not a wine I'm going to buy regularly. And you are the king of this. I watched you try. I mean, I don't even know how many, how many wines do you think you've tried in your life? I've tried to figure that out. Uh, probably somewhere between 10 and 15, maybe 16, 17,000 wines. Something like that. <laughs> and what's crazy, you have these giant binders that you keep detailed tasting notes. And uh, it's just, it's wild. You know, I think that's, that's the part many people don't understand about the industry is you're drinking wine, but this is, this is also work, you know, and you're keeping detailed notes and uh, that's just, that's funny. Um, Because you've tried so many, I'm I'm really curious your answer to this. What's an underrated wine that people listening or watching this should go check out that they may be unaware of? Oh, Portuguese wine for sure. Um, just because of its big brothers over there in Europe, you know, you got Spain, Italy, France, and they get tons of attention. Um, Portugal, they get attention for port, but not for their real regular still wines. And there's so much value there. They're making fantastic, uh, fine wines that are 15 bucks, you know, in the store, 10 bucks sometimes. And, uh, there's just an incredible amount of value there. Uh, just cause they go and notice kind of the same thing with Chile. I love Chilean wine. Their big brother Argentina right next door. So much fame for Malbec and Chile goes unnoticed at the same time. You're getting fantastic wines, and those are just screaming deals. 
So anything in particular from Portugal or? Oh, well, Vino, Vino Verde. I mean, I, I love white wine, love rosé. Um, I drink a lot of red um, too, obviously, but uh, Vino Verde. So that's here at the top of Portugal. It's actually a region called Vino Verde, which just translates to green wine. But it's basically a youthful wine. Um, it comes a little frizzante. So you have like, it's almost semi-sparkling, but very bubbly on the tongue. It's perfect for Arizona weather too, because you're bright, you're fresh. Oh, just a touch of sparkling alcohols in the mid, you know, so 11s up to 12, maybe. Um, it's just an awesome wine. Mm. Any Vino Verde. I, I've never had a bad Vino Verde. They're very passionate about it. It's what they do in that region. All right. I See, I mean, I, I want one now. And I don't, I don't know if I've ever had that. So there we go. What's the best part about owning a wine bar? Oh, the aha moments, uh, for sure. So giving someone a wine or they say, I don't like wine or I don't like reds or I don't like rosés or I don't like whites. And I always say, I can get you. I know I can. <laughs> and, and you give them that thing and then it's the aha moment and you see it on their face. They're happy. They've discovered something new. It's basically, it's a new door opening up to an entire new room they've never explored before. And those are really special. And that really is, in essence, the job of a sommelier is you're you're the bridge, right, between what that person knows or likes to an incredible wine experience. And, you know, you in the front lines of the wine bar get to get to guide people through that experience all the time. Yes, it's, it's fun. What's the most challenging part of owning a wine bar? Well, uh, alcohol is poison. So, uh, you know, there is that part to it and it's not everyone behaves themselves. And that's, that's definitely the worst part, especially if they've been a regular or something and you have to, but that's few and far between here. So we're lucky that that doesn't happen very often, but when it does, it's unfortunate. So, you know, any, any that, wild that stories you want to share? Not that I want to share. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't want anything on, on video. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, so again, I know people might have this idea of, oh, it'd be so, so sexy to open a wine bar. What's the most unglamorous part about running a wine bar? Oh man. Plumbing issues, probably. <laughs> <laughs> you were showing, you were showing me some of those recently. Oh, oh. yeah. A grease trap issue. A grease trap is just something on the floor that collects grease when you run food through it. Right. We're having issues with ours. You have to open it up, and it's just—it's so disgusting. Ungla—it's—it's it's the epitome of unglamorous. <laughs> it's all—it's all part of it. That and cleaning out floor sinks. So most bars have floor sinks where water drains into, and just if you got beer and you got Ooh. wine going down there, it coagulates and turns into what I call jellyfish. <laughs> oh yeah, you're <laughs> your term for it. Yeah, it's not not fun. <laughs> Well, couldn't you just say cleaning? Because you know that's one of the the answers we've gotten previously to this question. Yeah. Is there's so much cleaning involved in the industry, yes, yeah. and people don't see that part, right? For sure, right? They're not meant to see it. It happens before and after they leave, right? But yeah, I can definitely. You could you could chalk it up to cleaning, absolutely. Now, many churches and coffee shops are trying to create what has become known as the third place for people. This idea of another place where you go and you, you feel safe and you go and gather. What have you learned about community in running a wine bar? Oh, uh, how it, how it can come together without even, um, 
or how much how it can evolve without even you realizing what's happening around you until after after the fact um so many friendships have started here not just between us and the customers but between the customers themselves that they're becoming what is you can tell is going to be lifelong friends and this is the gathering place this is the safe place um also a lot of women bring dates here because they feel safe here um and we love that like that's that's what it's supposed to be um at, at its essence is a gathering place for the community to come talk enjoy themselves that's what bars have been since their inception um is that third place and that's what they should be at, at their core you know if you had and to I, drill that down what are the elements that you see that make that possible in, in your bar a welcoming environment so um and uh openness so we're, we're not we're not putting up barriers you know it's an open flow and in that sense what we've noticed is that it starts to regulate itself where we don't even have to be the people who are saying, hey, you're, you're acting. This is not how we should act. You know, the actual customers and the uh, community itself self-regulates. And they actually they're like, this person feels ostracized because they're making other people feel uncomfortable. They're not going to come back. It takes care of itself in that sense. And that that part has been super cool to watch. Interesting. Yeah. I think there's a lot of churches that would love to figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> How do we get the community to regulate itself? Uh, that's great. That's, uh, yeah. But one, one of the reasons you and I have become such good friends is you you were the one that said yes to this crazy idea uh, of mm-hmm. us hosting events. We, we, we host a lot of our community events at Clayton's Bar. Uh, Clayton and I have even hosted events in Tucson, and we've, we've taken, mm-hmm. taken it on the road. Uh, and I, I've shared this, but uh, not on the podcast yet. One of the things that was was funny to me is when we started this journey of Community Wine Co. And, you know, we're like, all right, we have this idea. We want to blend these two worlds together, these, you know, spiritual conversations that are safe, but also we're going to have them in non-church environments. What we realized is that idea was equally uh, suspect on both sides of of, of the, the line, right? So to church right. people... Uh, any any mention of alcohol or wine, you know, it was like, well, then you you it's not safe and it's not OK. And, you know, I don't think you should be having spiritual conversations in that way. Right. So to a lot of the church environments, they were very hesitant. But what surprised me was that a lot of the bar environments were equally suspect because they didn't want nothing to do with Jesus or church or what they had experienced with Christianity. Right. And so to them. They're looking at us like, no, we don't really want that happening in our space. And so, you know, when I was beginning to reach out to different bars, you know, you you were not the first bar we tried. And I, I hadn't even been to your bar uh, when we started trying this. And and I just remember going, this, this could be really hard. Like, this could be really a challenge to find the right place that is interested, you know, kind of taking a chance on an idea that's not a very common idea. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I had gone to different bars, tried it. And, you know, Michelle and I was like, we just gonna have to keep trying more wine bars and find one that has, you know, a, a different vibe. And we went to yours and I remember, I'll never forget the night I met you. I thought you were the, the wine rep from the wine. It was a tasting night. It was a Thursday night. And I thought yeah. you were the wine rep for those wines. The reason why I thought that is because, you know, we, we came for this tasting. We're like, Hey, this will be a good chance to discover this new winery or this new wine bar. And we started asking you questions about the wines and you knew everything. I mean, it was just like, 
you rattled off all the details about all the different wines that we were drinking that night. So I assumed that's what this guy does for a living. He travels around representing these wines. It was only later in the evening that I figured out, oh, the rep had gone home already. He was done. You were just just doing what you, you do, right? And then I remember thinking, this guy knows a shit ton about wine. Like, holy cow, he's he's dropping wine stuff left and right. And not in a bravado way you you were just right. like like yeah, yeah this is what this is and you know and i would be intrigued and i would ask you a follow-up question oh yeah you know and so we just kind of geeked out together but then yes, i remember i remember approaching you after this and going hey we really liked our experience here here's what we want to do is there any chance you would let us do this and you said yes and that originally started on on your patio as a smaller group, the first one, then it yeah. has moved into you now close early and we do a private event where it's, you know, your crew and, and the people who attend what on earth made you say yes to that? I, I would love to know why, why did you say yes? When everyone else was skeptical, you, you took a chance on us. Why? Uh, Two, two reasons. So I try to say yes to a lot of different stuff because I think our method here is definitely spaghetti against the wall. You know, try things, see what sticks. You know, we, we're always trying something new. If you stick to what you're doing all the time, it's a guaranteed way to fail. If you're not trying to grow, not trying new things, you know, that's, you know, it's not, it's not a good, not a good uh, recipe. So uh, that was number one. Number two is I like how you framed it. So, um, I, I a enjoyed talking to you, but B, um, I was encouraged by the way you were going to frame things. So, uh, yes, like sometimes it's like, well, you know, what kind of what kind of Christians are they or whatnot? You know, uh, I I enjoyed the way that I or I really was attracted to what you what you said and the way you were going to um, run it. So it was it made it pretty easy. Okay, elaborate. What? What? Because I don't know. What did I say that that sounded different than other Christians? Um, well, <laughs> I, I still don't offend anybody. I got so uh, it wasn't going to be uh, offensive material. It wasn't going to be uh, the doom and gloom. It's more of uh, kind of uh, explorative, going through it, and a welcoming environment, not exclusionary. So uh, it was different from what. I'm sure a lot of people thought it would have been, and I think people are surprised when they come in, like the chaplain that came in. He was, yeah. used to work at the hospital. He was a chaplain in the hospital, and he sat in, and he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll hang out, and I'll okay. listen to it. And he listened to you talk, and he's like, yeah, I'm right with this guy. Like, the, he's making a lot of sense up there. Like, And Kevin's a big part of the community here. Uh, he's here a lot. Uh, but uh, <laughs> he also represents a lot of our values, too. So it was... It was right there. It was, it was meant to be. That's awesome. It's it has been funny. I recall another time we had a, a guy show up, and I, I like to think I'm I'm fairly high on the emotional intelligence scale. I, I can read a room. I can read people's body language, and as a communicator, that's important, right? If you are looking at someone and going, they're angry right now, or they're disengaged, or they look bored, right? You, you, you yeah. change what you're doing based on how you're reading someone. And I remember one night, this guy comes in and just looks pissed the whole time and comes in looking pissed. And, you know, I'm like, maybe he just needs a couple glasses of wine to chill him out a little bit. 
But as the night goes on, I can visibly see him changing his demeanor, like his physical posture is changing. And he gets to the end of the night and he comes up to me and he goes, hey, I have a confession to tell you. I'm like, "Okay, what? And he goes, I came here to basically cause you issues. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he goes, I got invited to this. And I thought, this is the dumbest thing ever. You know, some some preachers, you know, hijacking this community to preach doom and gloom and he's going to scare everybody and it's going to be hellfire and all this. And he's like, and I was ready just to to go at you with questions. We, we opened it up to a lot of dialogue. And he said, but then you kept saying things that I liked and that intrigued me. And he goes, and I realized I don't want to argue with this guy. I just want to be a part of this. And I think that is what a lot of people have experienced is like, we're not, we're not there to, to preach hate or exclusion or tell you all the things that you've done wrong. I really am a firm believer of Jesus is bringing good news. And mm-hmm. I don't think Christianity sounds good to a lot of people anymore. And so yeah. we're trying to create space where it actually does sound like good news. And, uh, and I just think it's cool that you have allowed us to do that. And that, that really became, you know, the proof of concept. And now we've had a lot more doors open and I just got reached out to uh, a wine bar in Prescott that said, Hey, we want to host this. We've seen what you're doing. Gilbert, would you do an event here? And again, all it took was one person to say, yeah, try it. We're open to it. And so I want to publicly go on record and say, thank you. And, <laughs> and to you, I say, well done. Well done, sir. It's the fun of having Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> on that note, I think it's time for a drink break. Oh. All right. Man, that's a good wine. Very good. Podcasts are way more fun when you're when you're drinking great wine. <laughs> All right, I love to ask during the drink break about one. Just I want one memory that you have of one of the pinnacle wine experiences where uh, the way I like to say is all the stars aligned, right? It's the perfect glass at the perfect time in the perfect setting, and you just go, "This is this is as good as it is." And I love hearing people tell these wine stories. I know you've got a ton of them. So I want you just to pick one and it could be a recent one where you just, you, you tasted that glass and you went this, this is it. What, what is that for you? Uh, it was Italy. So this year, February, we were in Tuscany. We go to Montalcino. Um, <clears throat> I wasn't expecting a lot from Montalcino. I've had some wines from there, but it's a smaller town. Montepulciano is much larger. So we're going to Montalcino, we're like, okay, there's like a, there's a tasting in the, in the back corner of the city somewhere. So we got to go find this. Uh, we walk into this fort that is defunct now. The walls still stand. It still has the cannon holes, all this. We go into the back of this corner. We head down. It's this cellar where they do tastings. And it's all Brunello de Montalcino. So these are wines they make like one, maybe two barrels of a year. Wow. They never leave, never leave the city. 60 euro, I get to taste four of these different Brunello de Montalcinos. And there's a picture of me, and I'll, maybe we'll have to post it later, but I'm sitting there like this before the tasting <laughs> starts. It was, it was 
incredible. It was it, terroirs and flavors that I, I'd never even experienced before. Truly, truly fine, high-end wine that's still, uh, it's hard to describe, it's still rustic, so homegrown. And you can really get the sense of that. Like, this isn't meant to, it's not meant to leave the city. This is for them. Uh, wines that are four or 500 euro a bottle. And we get to have a little sip of this. Just touch, just touch the sun a little bit. And it was, it was incredible. And I think what's, what's so cool about that is, you know, by your own admission, you've drank 16,000 some wine, uh, different wines, and you still can have these experiences that, wow you and i think that's just what's so amazing about about wine yes and you don't have to go halfway around the world it's in your own backyard you can head down to arizona wineries and have the same experience head down to sonoid and wilcox and just look at the desert and wonder how they're growing grapes out there (laughs) we just uh recently on a podcast talked with uh chad preston of birds and barrels and talked about the Wilcox growing scene. So yeah, we've, we've, we've had a little bit of that on the podcast already. Um, At our event, what, what we often do is we, we, you and I tag team, I will talk about a a topic. Usually it rotates and then usually do a Q and a mixed in between that is you doing kind of wine theory 101 or wine tasting 101. And then also a setup for each of the, the wines that we drink that night and uh, people just love this. They love, you know, the way you describe the wine and all of this. What has been really cool is there's been a few times you've crossed over and onto my side of the conversation. And, you know, whatever we were talking about, you're like, oh, I want to I want to speak to a little bit of my journey with that. And you've shared a little bit of your own faith. And, you know, from my understanding, you you've grown up with Christianity and with an understanding of Christianity. I'd love mm-hmm. to hear from you. What has been your journey with that um, to where you are today? Yeah, so I, you know, I went to church till I was eighteen. Um, apostolic Christian, uh, went out here in Phoenix, um, and it was it it put me off for the same reasons that people were probably skeptical about bringing you into a bar because it was hellfire brimstone. We went and visited my family back in Indiana recently, and we went to church with them because Grandma was there, and you got to. So the first word out of the preacher's mouth on the sermon was hell. <laughs> how how do you begin a sense of hell? That's, 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 impressive. I, it was, I don't it, hell comma. And then the rest of the sentence. You sure it wasn't hello. And you just yeah. got stuck on the, the hello part. No, it was, uh, I was with my sister and her, uh, my brother-in-law and, uh, they, you know, they they still, uh, go to church. But they're, again, more along your lines. Uh, that's that's the kind of church they attend. So they were there with me. And as soon as we got in the car, they were like, his first word was hell. Why? <laughs> Why? That's great. I don't know. But, yeah. But anyway, so uh, from then on, you know, it's uh, my journey from there after I, you know, stopped attending. I still go back. My parents still attend. So I'll help them serve lunch every once in a while and whatnot. But um I think I've just kind of more exploded the idea of it uh, outwards. And I don't know if I don't really have a faith that I believe in necessarily, but my thought is if something created the entire universe, he's probably not as worried about everything I'm doing all the time as people would like to think that it seems selfish and self-centered to like, think that, that, that you're that important when the entire universe is 
so huge. Um, so not to say that, uh, not to say you're not important. We're all special in our own way. But uh, just that uh, you, you know, giving yourself that anxiety and making your trek through life, life's already difficult. Why make it harder? Uh, you're, you're trying your best. And I think that that's probably good enough a lot of the times. Yeah, Christianity definitely has made the world harder on a lot of people. And going back to my earlier comment about it, it it doesn't look like good news anymore to a lot of people. And it looks like, oh, if you believe this, this is going to add all these extra things that you have to now worry about. And a lot of people are like, I'm not interested in that. You know, like you said, life's already hard. Why do I want to go add all these things to it? So you basically say at 18 for you was kind of the turning point when... You, you were able to make no. that your own or I mean, of course it's more of a Venn diagram. It's not like it's not 18 in one day. And I'm like deuces, you know, it was, it was people it is. Yeah. <laughs> that's fair. But for me, it's, uh, it's always click clack. And Pete Holmes has a good uh, saying is like religion's like an empty spray can. It's always, if you shake it and you can hear it clicking around in there somewhere, it never goes away. It's uh it's, it's always going to be in there somewhere working with, you know, it's part of, it was part of the building blocks of your life. So, and the values, a lot of the values are fantastic and things that I think are, are common sense, but sometimes, you know, people need to hear. Um, but it's nice to have those too. And it will always be a part of you. It's never, it's never not going to be, you know what I mean? Yeah. So as you, as you look now removed from the 18 year old version of you, what, what do you, what do you think about Christianity these days? Obviously you've, you, you've seen the negative parts, but like as a whole, you've, you've seen, you know, what we do at the community events that's showing you another, you know, another strain of it at least, but just as you kind of see the, the, the whole scope of Christianity, what do you see today? Uh, I, I wish the grayscale was more apparent because it's, it really is that label. It's falling under the label where you get just put in the box immediately. Like, oh, you're this, then you believe these things that I've told, I've been told that everyone believes that that is a Christian. Right. So um, that's pretty much life in general, though, where we're not seeing the gray. We see black, we see white um, and we see the label and, and everyone gets put in this in this box. I don't I don't have any issues with religion whatsoever uh, until it crosses over into the other side where we cross over into hate, which is led by fear and ignorance. Um but that's there's so many other things that lead to that, not just religion. So blaming religion in and of itself is kind of ridiculous, in my opinion. But um, yeah, where it's at today, I I don't know. I'd like to see more of what you're doing out there, and less of people that feel beholden. I feel there's a lot of people that are there though, but they're they feel like they're a part of a community that is not there. And leading that community seems scary. Mm-hmm. Um, so where they're like, I don't, I don't hate people. I don't hate these people. I don't, I don't maybe feel this way, but I, my community feels this way, and I don't want to be ostracized from my community. So um, therefore, I'm, I'm going to feel this way uh, in order to stay, stay inside. That's yeah. That's a huge part of it. Is that sense of I belong to this, and I don't necessarily fit in with it. But if I leave it. What, what am I left with? And a lot, and you know, yeah. that, a lot of people say, even these events that we do, like this is, this is church to me. That's not how we've designed it, but 
that's you when you lose your community you you grab onto you know anything that you can and i think people are looking for safe spaces third places right yeah right have that experience 100 percent. all right so let's focus in on jesus okay so strip away everything else what do you think about jesus Oh, uh, uh, not a trick question. No, you don't have to have a right answer. I just want to know. I think it's interesting to hear. What, what do you what do you see in Jesus? I think he's one of the many people throughout history that said, hey, we should all be nice to a, nice to each other. And then uh, everyone said, uh, put that guy on a cross. <laughs> Kill him. Yes, exactly. Uh, it's just how many how many people stood up throughout history and said, you know, we can. We can be great. We can advance our society and we can respect and be nice to each other at the same time. And everyone says, impossible, kill that guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, okay. What's something you're learning right now? Mm. So right now, uh, I know I brought it up earlier, but I've been focused on Portugal. It's a huge blind spot for my education. So I've been learning a lot about that recently. So trying to delve into Portuguese wine, the history of it, um, besides just port, learning about the other regions as well. So uh, that's been a lot of fun. I guess, again, best education in the world. You get to drink while you do it. So is that how you... These days, do you do you learn kind of tackling a region at a time or a country at a time? Or how, how do you find yourself learning new areas like that? A lot of times that just comes. So from doing your thing, doing the Thursday wine tastings we do every yeah. Thursday here at Divided Vine, um, there's new stuff all the time. I learn stuff every every week, too, with those um, because I, I have to study them. And I have to, every time I find new bits of information, it's exciting. And then I teach the employees about it. We all do the tasting together for all the uh, customers. So, um, and then other private tastings that I do. So there's always something that comes onto the table for me where I'm like, I don't know enough about this and I get to attack it and learn more. It never ends. I really appreciate about you. You, you know more about wine than maybe anyone else that I talk regularly to. And yet you are, you are a perpetual learner. You, you are not the guy that's like, I've got to figure it out. I know it all. You're constantly learning, constantly asking questions. Even when we're at tastings with, uh, you know, a wine rep, you're, you're peppering questions about what well, is it this or is it that? And, and I just think that says, that speaks volumes to you. Even someone who's had as much wine experience as you have, you, you keep learning. And that's just been awesome to see. And you're, you're a great, you're a great model for all of us, Clayton. Like when we do our tastings with Ron uh, and the, uh, I go, Hey, uh, <laughs> what was the soil typicity for this? He goes, I knew you were going to ask that. <laughs> <laughs> then he uses us to get his laptop out. And he's, yeah, you know, yeah, he's like, it's, it's okay, Ron. I'll, I'll look it up. You're good. You're good. <laughs> okay. So this might be related. What's something you're excited about right now? Ooh. Uh, the business has grown a lot and our wine clubs kind of has blown up. So I'm really excited for this December to kind of see where we're going to end up. Um, how many wine club members and, uh, everyone out there should join the divided vine wine club. It's fantastic. Um, I got kind of see where, uh, cause that's going to be the thing that kind of brings us to the next level and gets us over a certain hump that we're trying to get to, um, that, and I'm headed to Columbia Valley in October. 
I've never been to the region, so I'm very excited to explore that. There's uh, plenty of things to try in Washington, and they're being uh, they're uh, they're very uh, open to innovation, um, a lot of different varietals. They're actually doing quite a few Portuguese varietals up there too. So I'm really excited to try some Tariga Nacional um, from Hedges when I go to that winery. We're going to help them with harvest a little bit. So very excited to go to Washington and try some Washington wines. Nice. Love the Northwest. What's a problem that you're trying to solve these days? Um, it's kind of a good problem. Um, our wine tastings are, are very full and we're, uh, we're trying to figure out how to, uh, make it more efficient, get, get, be able to get more people and be able to serve more people, um, and have everyone enjoy it. I hate, I hate having to turn people away and, you know, I want things to stay efficient. So, uh, that, that's that's a big problem, and we're figuring it out. We always we always do. We're more uh, let's let's add more, and then let's see how much we can handle, and let's figure out a way to to deal with that once once it gets here. Once 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 it breaks you, then you're like, let's back yeah. off that a little bit. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Where do you see the wine industry going in the future? What hmm. are the, what are the trends that you see coming? Um. I hope open this to other varietals as the world keeps warming up. We're going to have to start enjoying more than just Cabernet Sauvignon and Chardonnay. Um, that that's, that's the biggest thing I think is people being accepting that, uh, other varieties there, uh, and they are maybe just as good as the ones you're drinking and they're going to taste different, but they can also taste very similar if you're drinking it from the right region. So, um, I think openness to new varietals is going to be a big thing. Uh, I also think we're going to be going away from glass eventually. So getting used to getting a lot of your wine in, in maybe bags, um, bags and boxes that, you know, that won't, that won't happen immediately, but eventually down the road, that will happen. We are running out of glass, running out of cork, you know, um, and a bag is actually perfect. You have almost no oxygenation, you have no light degradation because it's inside a box. Whereas glass, even though if they're dark glasses, there's still light that gets through. Um, it's actually a great containment system. So, uh, but it's, again, it's like when we switch from beer bottles to beer in cans, it takes time, but you know, wine just moves slower than everything else. Cause we only get one shot a year at it. So, whereas everyone else gets a couple of weeks to turn around. That is a controversial hot take. Yeah. <laughs> That that you you are you are pro wine bags in a box. That is yeah. well because what you're saying just experientially. That's that's very different. That's the whole reason. The whole reason for glass. The whole reason for corks is about the experience. Not that this is the best method. I mean, why do we even use 750 milliliter bottles? Because the English, when they're making glass for the French originally, that's how much air is in your lungs. So when you blow out, you get 750 milliliters every time. There's obviously a lot more capacity, but when you're blowing glass, you get a consistent product, 750 milliliters over and over again. And that is the only reason that we do 750 milliliters. Like there's so many things. We're, the only reason we're doing it is because this is the way we've done it. And wine is the slowest to change of all the liquors, you know. Um, but eventually, you're going you're gonna to come to a point where you're going to have to. So, And it, the wine still the same. That's the thing. So yeah, it's not sexy to use a screw cap, but you know, it's just as good. It's in my opinion. I, I can get on board with the screw cap. I don't, I don't mind the screw cap. It is 
way easier. I mean, there's there really is no comparison. And then just being able to tighten it right back up. It's like, that's, yeah. that's really nice. The bag in the bottle, that's, or the, the, the whole, the whole bag system. That's just a different. Now, don't get me wrong. 20, 30 years down the road, you know, I'll be in a nursing home at this point. So uh, we will pull up this podcast and we will say, remember when Clayton told us this is where it was going. I'm not just a tinfoil hat. I swear this is happening. (laughs) (laughs) What's the next place you want to travel? You talked about your trip to Italy and how amazing that was. What's, what's next on your bucket list? Chile, Chile and Argentina. I convinced my wife to uh, head down there and that she won't get her head chopped off. So um, I'm very excited to go down there. They're they're very excited to have visitors because it is far away from a lot of different places that buy their wine. The U.S. is the biggest importer of Argentinian wine. Argentina is also one of the biggest drinkers of their own wine um, in the world. Uh, so they drink a lot of their own wine, but the U.S. is the biggest importer. So they're excited to have us down there. They welcome you in. They have a place to stay for you. They give you free meals. Um, and it's absolutely gorgeous. And it's very similar to how we do things in Arizona. High elevation. Uh, minimal irrigation, very continental climate. Um, you know, it's so I'm very excited to go down there and, uh, and and see what they're doing. Try the things that we don't get up here. There's so much we don't get up here from there. So that's what you learn, or at least what I have learned most traveling and experiencing wine in the actual region it's made is mm-hmm. they don't they don't distribute the really good stuff. <laughs> I right. mean, the really good stuff you got to be there. And they, they have lots of it there, but you have to be there to get that stuff. And that's what I've learned of like, oh, that's because people go, well, you can get French wine here. You can get Argentinian wine here. It's like you can get some of it, you know, but you're not the stuff that you're talking about from Italy. You're not buying that bottle here. Like that's something that you've got to be there in the right place from the source. Right. Yeah. Use a little tip for wine travel. That's yeah. Good to know. All right. Where can people go to find out more about what you are doing? Uh, so dividedvine.com. So we have all of our, all of our events on there. We have uh, our wine list and our beer list on there. Um, you can also follow us on Facebook, uh, which is uh, Divided Vine, on Instagram at The Divided Vine. Um, yeah, that's the best because all of our events, all the fun stuff we do, uh, we do an Oktoberfest coming up. Every Thursday we do wine tasting. Uh, we have specials on Tuesdays and Wednesdays as well. So there's tons of stuff. And if you want to get a sneak peek at the menu and see if you want to come in or not, check it out. So untapped, or you can go to the website and it'll have the list up to date list on both of those. Nice. So those of you listening or, or watching from Arizona, this is a this is a gem you've got to check out. Well, dude. I love you, brother. I am so grateful for your continued friendship, for all that you're teaching me in the wine world. And, uh, and thanks for taking the time today out of your, out of your busy schedule. Uh, you're, you're in the, in the, in the bar itself as we do this, because yes. you've got so much going on. So thank you again for taking the time to be on the podcast with us. Of course. I appreciate it. Cheers. Right. Anything else you want to add that we didn't get to? No, I, I, I think we covered most of it. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, everyone, for listening to another episode of Cabernet and Prey. We, uh, we love diving into the wine industry, talking about Jesus, talking about wine with Jesus people, and just bringing these two worlds together. So we appreciate you being a part of it. We'll catch you all soon. Thanks for joining us for Cabernet and Prey. 
We'd love to hear what you thought of today's episode or what you'd like to see more of in the future. You can email us at cheers at communionwineco.com. And if you like this episode, please consider leaving us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find us online at communionwineco.com.